0: The ability of our country to run a fair electoral system is not just another ancillary issue.
1: Oh,
2: now you care? Now? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I don't think he really cares even. Now. I got the feeling something right. Just saying. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs to the left me, to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you yep. yes, I'm stuck from pacifica radio in los angeles this is the bradcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 FM, fm in la up in oregon on 91.7 fm kyaq on the central coast and 106.7 fm queso in cottage grove FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 88.5 FM KAKU in Maui, Hawaii. WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus, Ohio. And Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. On WPRR in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, Blanketing, Planet Earth, five days a week or more. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, An all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling action and packed adventure that we call the Bradcast. Uh, Today, President Donald J. Trump proclaimed April 2017 as National Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month.
1: Oh, dear. (laughs)
2: Uh, and that not a joke. He actually did I this. Know. Apparently, uh, a reporter friend of mine uh, who sent me that notice uh, mentioned that the jokes here write themselves. So yes, I, won't, uh, I won't I a- won't add any at the moment. But uh, that said, it's also Transgender Visibility Day. But the state of North Carolina has a very strange way of celebrating that day. We'll speak with one of the attorneys who's leading the fight against North Carolina's anti-LGBTQ laws, uh, so-called bathroom bills, uh, shortly about the state's repeal and replacement of that bill that happened this uh, this past week. And guess what? Uh, it included a repeal, but as far as I can tell, the new bill ain't much of a replacement unless you consider almost the exact same provisions but with slightly different wording to be a replacement. But we'll find out if I'm right about that from an attorney who who knows this stuff much better than I do. Uh, we'll talk to her shortly. Also, Desi Doy, hi Des. Hey. You will be joining us with the latest Green News Report with yes, the I reaction will. and the, the pushback to Trump's executive order signed on Tuesday, hoping to roll back a huge number of Obama's climate climate and environment policies. Good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, but first I want to start here. A federal judge on Friday approved a twenty-five million dollar settlement. Between Donald Trump and thousands of former Trump University students who will receive most of their money back that they paid to Donald Trump's fake university run by the man who is now the president of the United States. Judge Gonzalo Curiel said in his decision uh, that he thought the settlement was fair, adequate and reasonable. Curiel, you may remember, is a federal judge in the Southern District of California uh, who, during the campaign last year, Trump had accused him of being biased against Donald Trump uh, because the judge, as uh, Trump called him at the time, was Mexican. He also called him Spanish at one point. Uh, Curiel's family, yeah, is of Mexican heritage. In fact, uh, Judge Curiel was born in Indiana. Uh, Nearly 4,000 former students had submitted claims in several different lawsuits, and those who are eligible could get back about 90 percent of their money that they had paid. Trump University was uh, created back in 2005 to teach, promised to teach students investing techniques that they could use to get rich in real estate, just like Donald Trump. Uh, one-year apprenticeship cost about uh, 1500 bucks. A membership cost $10,000. Oh,
1: my goodness.
2: Gold Elite membership uh, cost $35,000. Trump University effectively closed in 2010 when the New York Department of Education directed the program to stop operating without a license. Uh, In advertising for the uh, for the university, Trump said he had handpicked the instructors. But during a deposition in one of these cases, there were three different ones here. uh, He did not remember a single instructor. The settlement, which was originally struck last year, just days after the November election, uh, brought together former Trump University students from these uh, three separate lawsuits. Two were federal class action suits in San Diego. There was a separate one brought by uh, New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman. The approval of the settlement had been opposed by uh, just one former student, Sherry Simpson. She thought she could get more money by going to trial. Uh, Simpson apparently told CNN at one point that she had spent about $20,000 on Trump University courses in, back in 2010. Media Matters Eric Bullert uh, said that uh, the settlement does not seem like it was that good for the students. There was no damages for fraud included. Victims are, you know, were stuck with this lawsuit for years just to get their enrollment money back. He called that pretty weak. Judge Curiel nonetheless dismissed Simpson's objection to the settlement, noting that the only uh, that only one procedurally valid objection was filed. And uh, he said that was indicative of fairness, adequacy and reasonableness of the settlement. But with that case closed, with the Trump University case closed, uh, the president of the United States will now personally or maybe his insurance company, I don't know, pay out twenty five million dollars to make three separate fraud lawsuits essentially against him go away. And today's likely the last thing you'll ever hear about uh, any of these cases. Now, do you think that would be the case, that this would just go away, that we would stop talking about it, that it wouldn't be an issue had, I don't know, Barack Obama been forced to pay $25 million to settle fraud claims with 4,000 different Americans? I mean, we'd be holding impeachment hearings long ago against Barack Obama had that ever been the case. Uh, Or how about Hillary Clinton? How about if Hillary Clinton had paid out a $25 million fraud settlement? Do you think that would have been an issue uh, over uh, over the campaign last year? Do you think it would be an issue now? Lock her up. But, of course, there's a completely different standard for the current president of the United States, which uh, in and of itself, this different standard, the way the bar has now moved, that in and of itself is extraordinary and still alarming, or at least it should be. But that's where we are now. I mean, there is there will be, you know, after today. You won't hear anybody talking about twenty-five million dollars uh, that uh, the president of the United States is paying out to four thousand different people
1: because he defrauded them to settle them. a
2: fraud suit. Yeah. yeah, to settle three fraud suits. Just amazing. Um, but of course, uh, that's getting lost because, uh, well, here's why. Since the over at least the excuse over the past twenty-four hours or so, former national security Advisor Mike Flynn has told the Senate and House Intelligence Committees and possibly the FBI that he is willing to be interviewed about the Trump campaign's alleged ties to Russia in return for immunity from prosecution. The Wall Street Journal reported that on Thursday, just after we went off air, that Flynn had told the FBI and Congress he was willing to be interviewed in exchange for a grant of immunity in um In September, Flynn had told Chuck Todd on NBC's Meet the Press, quote, when you are given immunity, that means you've probably committed a crime. That's what Mike Flynn was uh, saying when he was helping Donald Trump become the next president. He was then uh, talking about uh, Hillary Clinton aides to uh, Hillary Clinton, who had received immunity uh, in the investigation into her private email server. So he was talking about her at the time, not him. In a statement tweeted on Thursday, his lawyer confirmed that discussions had taken place uh, between Flynn and the House and Senate Intelligence Committees and said General Flynn certainly has a story to tell and he very much wants to tell it. The Senate Intelligence Committee Uh, However, uh, has said that they have so far declined to take that offer from Flynn and so far has anybody else. Now, there are plenty of folks obviously covering that story for the moment, so you don't need me here. But as the talking cable news heads were nattering on about what all of this means... Um, James Woolsey, the former CIA director, he was the CIA director under Bill Clinton. He was a one-time member, though, of the Trump transition team. He resigned suddenly last year without explanation uh, from the transition at some point. I think it was back in December or maybe January. I can't recall. He was on one of these panels on cable TV, which were talking about um, the strange behavior of the Republican chair of the House Intelligence Committee, Devin Nunes. When Wolsey said something that caught my ear, drives me a bit crazy, and I would like to respond very, very quickly if I can, because this, as I say, drives me absolutely nuts. I know that's not a long drive, but still, somebody needs to reply to this because this is a, a piece of the puzzle. Several pieces of the puzzle uh that going that go back long before this election that I just want to respond to here was uh James Woolsey on uh, on CNN with um Oh, I don't know, one of Aaron these shows. Burnett. There you go, Aaron Burnett. Uh, Woolsey, uh, two different clips here that I want to play. Uh, here was the first one um, concerning uh, his concerns about Russia hacking voting machines in future elections.
0: I think we're looking largely at the wrong uh, issue. Uh, what's, what we're looking at is government by tweet and uh, how does this all work and who knew what when and did they have the right to, It doesn't matter much of it at all. What matters is what kicked this all off, which is whether the Russians were interfering in our election. And we have heard from those who seem to know that uh, if they tried, they didn't succeed in affecting the outcome uh, of the election. But that doesn't mean they won't come at it again.
2: Okay, the the voting machine part is the next clip. But uh, So that was the former, and I'll play that in a second, that was the former CIA director, James Woolsey, he says, we, we, we have heard that if they tried, they didn't succeed in affecting the outcome of the election. Uh, in fact, that is not true. It's true that we don't know whether they succeeded in affecting the outcome of the election. Uh, but, and Trump and his folks like to say they didn't, but we don't know that they did or didn't. We don't know if anybody did or didn't. The fact is the intelligence communities uh, in this case, with as far as their investigation into Russia and Trump, have said that they have made no assessment of whether Russia affected the outcome of the election. They have made no assessment. They haven't said they didn't. They said we don't look at that. Um, And, you know, so whether they allege uh, that Russia did or didn't do anything, there's no evidence that they haven't put forward any evidence concerning Russia. But as far as any actual effect on the results of the election, they have not said anything. The intelligence communities, the FBI, CIA has not said anything. So Woolsey there is uh, is not telling the truth. But more importantly, this next clip.
0: Uh, there's a, a real danger here because 25% approximately of our voting machines in the United States do not have paper backups. So if the electronics have been tampered with, you will never know and you can't do a recount. We have got to get that fixed. The ability of our country to run a fair electoral system is not just another ancillary issue, it's the heart of having a republic. And if we can't get our voting machines to work in such a way that the russians can't manage them between now and the election coming up in under now well under two years uh we could start seeing the russians controlling who gets elected to congressional seats and the rest we we have to pay attention to that okay there's a lot there to unpack
2: and i got my guest standing by so i'm going to try to fly through this shortly because as i said drives me crazy uh we'll see Former CIA director says 25 percent of our voting machines do not have paper backup. That that part is true. Twenty five percent of them are are touchscreen like systems that are 100 percent unverifiable, period. Uh, he says if the electronics have been tampered with on those machines, you will never know. That is largely true. A forensic investigation could be done of those systems after an election to find out if there was any tampering or error. Um, but it's not done. It's, never, it's almost never done. Uh, it certainly wasn't done in the 2016 elections. And he says, and you can't do a recount on those systems. That, that part is totally true. He said, if we can't get our voting machines to work in such a way that the Russians can't manage them between now and the elections coming up in less than two years, we could start seeing the Russians controlling who gets elected to congressional state, uh, seats and the rest. Well, that is true, too. But that has been true, whether it's about Russia or any other country, uh, as we have tried to tell you on this show and on the Brad and at Bradblog.com for more than 13 years now. That has always been true. This is not new. This has always been the case. It's something that I have been yelling and screaming about with my hair on fire about for years. And not just the fact that they can be tampered with by anybody, but the fact that we can't know if they have been tampered with at least those 25 percent of those voting machines that are, you know, unverifiable touchscreens. The rest of them we can know. We can count the paper ballots, but we don't. More on that in a moment. But it's not just the the Russians that the public needs to be concerned about. And it's any country. It's not just any country. It's any bad actor, including those here in the U.S., including those who, by the way, have legal and regular access to the voting systems like election officials and the private vendors who program and run all of the electronic voting and tabulation systems that we use in this country. So, you know, that is true, not only for elections coming up in two years, it's true for elections going back 10 years, which is why I say we need a system that we oversee the vote, both the voting and the tabulation of our elections. Nothing has changed here. I'm glad to see a former CIA director mention it partly correctly, partly incorrectly. But this is a continuing problem and it is not changing. And it is we don't have to wait two more years, as Woolsey says it. This is true for special elections for Congress that are coming up here next week in California Uh, and the week uh, week or two after that in the state of Georgia, which, by the way, uses one those 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting machines. Those are going to be used to determine who fills uh, the seat of uh, Congressman Tom Price, who's now Trump's health and human services secretary. There's another special election coming up in Kansas. Uh, for to replace the seat vacated by Mike Pompeo, who's now the CIA director. So we don't have to wait two years. But here's the thing. It's not just voting machines that do not have a paper backup, as Woolsey says. It's all electronic voting and tabulation systems. All of them that we use in this country, including those with paper ballots, which By the way, we had this year in Michigan and Wisconsin, though not in Pennsylvania. But in all three of those states, Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate, had attempted to do a recount, attempted to actually have human beings count those ballots instead of have computers count those ballots. And in those three states combined, Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania had just about three votes been cast for Hillary Clinton instead of Donald Trump. Just about three votes in each precinct in those three states. She would have been the president now instead of Trump. And yet when questions arose and a recount was sought by Jill Stein, not by Hillary Clinton. A recount to to examine those, have human beings examine those paper ballots in Wisconsin and Michigan. Republicans did everything that they could to successfully keep the public from being able to actually hand count those ballots. And in Pennsylvania, where they use those 100 percent unverifiable voting systems still to this day in much of the state, Uh, we were also prevented from doing any sort of forensic analysis of those systems to determine if they had been manipulated by anyone, whether it was Russia or China or Iran or Saudi Arabia or France or England or Sweden or Joe Smith, who lives down the street, or uh, Ellen Jones, who's the, uh, the, the, the county clerk. In anywhere USA. Uh, yes, our systems are vulnerable. Wolsey is right. But that has been the case for a long time. And I don't see anyone in the Republican Party and not in the Democratic Party either doing anything about it. Democrats had also claimed, by the way, that there was no manipulation of the voting uh, systems. In the 2016 presidential election, the fact is they don't know that. They have no idea. It is impossible for them to know that without counting the paper ballots, which they didn't bother to do. It's a mess. But I had to respond on that. I had to respond to that aspect uh, because, yeah, we need to pay attention before it affects an election. Oh, has it affected one already? Who knows? We don't bother to count our ballots. It's a mess. Speaking of messes, we'll head to North Carolina. That's a mess, mess too. Uh, we'll head there next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs>
1: And thanks.
2: Okay. Calming down. Calming down. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Uh, Each year on the last day of March, the world observes Transgender Day of Visibility in order to raise awareness about transgender people. As GLAAD, the 30-year-old LGBTQ advocacy group notes, it is a day to celebrate the lives and contributions of trans people while still spotlighting the poverty, discrimination and violence the community faces. Friday was the 7th annual International Transgender Day of Visibility, which was created by trans advocate Rachel Crandall, the head of Transgender Michigan. She created the day after recognizing that many media outlets only report on stories about the violence committed against transgender and gender nonconforming people. She says she hoped to create a day where people could focus on celebrating the lives of transgender people, empowering them to be themselves and be seen, while still acknowledging that due to discrimination, not every trans person can or wants to be visible. So how are elected officials in the state of North Carolina celebrating the lives and visibility of transgender people this week? Well, on Wednesday, as Mark Joseph Stern reports over at Slate, Republican leaders in the North Carolina General Assembly announced that they had reached an agreement with Democratic Governor Roy Cooper to repeal the state's notorious and costly anti-LGBTQ law known as HB2. Hey, finally, great news! Maybe not. Uh, As soon as the compromise bill was revealed, Stern reports LGBTQ groups lined up against it, arguing in essence that the cure... Would be worse than the disease. The new measure, HB 142, they said, would be an unmitigated disaster for LGBTQ rights as it substitutes the old anti trans policy for a new, equally cruel one. This bill is not a compromise, he writes. It is a capitulation. Chris Scrow of Equality North North Carolina described the proposal as, quote, a train wreck that would double down on anti-LGBTQ discrimination. And the National Center for Transgender Equality's Mara Kiesling called it a cynical ploy that will continue to hurt North Carolina and transgender people. She also pointed out the state's new Democratic, Governor Cooper, ran his campaign on fully repealing HB2, And protecting transgender North Carolinians, she says it is an outrageous betrayal that he supports this fake repeal on Thursday night. In fact, after the new so-called compromise bill, HB 142 was adopted by the Republican majority state legislature using a legislative trick, by the way, to jam it through the assembly in a single day. Uh, to, yes, repeal and replace HB2. Governor Cooper signed the measure into law, describing it as an imperfect compromise, but an, an important first step and, quote, the best deal we can get. As it happens, the new law was signed just in time to meet a deadline issued by the NCAA, which said that they would not schedule any championship sporting events in the state, which usually hosts many of them, through 2022 unless North Carolina's discriminatory law was changed. That ultimatum from the NCAA came on the heels of a new Associated Press analysis that we covered a few days ago on the broadcast, finding that HB2 was likely to cost the state economy nearly $4 billion over the next 12 years thanks to the major corporations refusing to do business and open new facilities in the state as well as organizations canceling conventions, tourists boycotting the state, and other serious damage to the state's economic interests. In any event, on Thursday night, the NCAA got their changed law from North Carolina Republicans and Democrats as well this time. But does the new law actually change anything for the state's gay and trans communities? Joining us now is Tara Borelli. She's counsel in the Southern Regional Office of Lambda Legal, the oldest and largest national legal organization working for full recognition of the civil rights of LGBTQ people and people living with HIV. Borelli's work at Lambda Legal includes litigation seeking greater relationship recognition for same-sex couples, strengthening anti-discrimination protections for LGBT people. Tara Borelli, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for having me. Good to have you here, even uh, oh, even though I think this is not very good news coming out of North Carolina this week. Uh, I have read uh, a lot on both the old law, the HB2 law, as well as the so-called compromised version, HB142, that now replaces it officially. I got to tell you. I'm having a hell of a difficult time trying to figure out what was actually changed here from the one bill to the next. So I'd love to compare and contrast before we get into some of the details. Uh, If you could, uh, Tara, what did the previous law, HB 2, what did the previous law do that caused uh, initially so much of a backlash against the state of North Carolina?
3: Sure. Well, let me start by saying if, if you're struggling to figure out how HB 142 fixes things in any real way for LGBT people. Join the club. <laughs> we we, and a host of others, mm-hmm. as, as you mentioned in your introduction, are incredibly disappointed, outraged, and frustrated um, with this so-called compromise repeal deal. Um, so starting with HB2, th- there are some differences, and then there are some ways in which HB142 simply took a bunch of the bad old provisions of HB2 and perpetuated them and further enshrined them into North Carolina law. One key difference uh, is a provision that was in HB 2 that is gone now. And this was the most egregious thing I have seen enacted into a state statute. And it essentially said to all government entities, you are required to discriminate against transgender people in government buildings from city hall to public libraries to universities and colleges and K-12 through 12 schools. And the way that you have to do that is you must block transgender people from using restrooms and facilities that match their gender identity unless they happen to have a birth certificate that also matches their gender identity. Whatever that birth certificate says, that's where trans people have to go to facilities, um, and this was just an awful state of affairs. Um, so I am relieved that one thing HB two one forty two rather does do is it eliminates that requirement of affirmative discrimination by governments, but. When we talk about what replaces it, I think you'll be scratching your head the same that we are.
2: Uh, Yeah, exactly right. That's why I'm trying to figure out, you know, having read uh, the changes in 142, it seems like... This would also allow um, the, the state of North Carolina to decide who gets to use which restrooms based on on their birth certificates. Am I wrong about that? What, what has changed this? The, the, the right remains with the state legislature, does it not, to determine who gets to use which bathrooms, I, even in the even in the repeal bill?
3: You are exactly right. (laughs) So uh, I'm going to try to make heads and tails of this for you, but I have to tell you one of the key features of hb 142 is that it is just more and more incoherent the more closely you look at it so
2: okay so it's not it's being... not just me then you're good because no. i <laughs> wouldn't have an attorney on because i'm looking at this thing and i'm seeing the, you know these headlines oh hb2 is rebe- repealed in in uh, north carolina and i'm looking at it and i'm going what was actually repealed here what was changed i don't get it
3: <laughs> yeah no no we're scratching our heads in the same way so uh, here's what what the state did in essence now, instead of requiring government um, to affirmatively discriminate, the state has said, well, we the state, we're the only entity that can make any rule now about where transgender people use facilities. Full stop. That's it. Just the state, no local government, no public college, university, no school, no city hall, no no other building um, or official can make any rule about where transgender people go go to the restroom or use changing facilities. And yet, after now having said, well, only the state can do that, the state, of course, is and has been silent on that under current law. HB2 has been repealed, and there is no other provision in state law that tells any of these government branches or or, or government officials what they can or should say to transgender people about where they can use facilities. So essentially, they've said, we're going to make a rule, and the rule is absolutely no rule.
2: So it's up we, to it's course. up to us to decide, but we're not going to tell you essentially <laughs> exactly is that what right. they're sort of saying
3: that it, that's exactly right but let me let me give a really important footnote to that, which okay. is you and I are confused about this. I think government in North Carolina is going to be confused about this, and that leaves room for all kinds of not just confusion, but for people to abuse the law, to treat that vacuum as a space now to, to move into it and fill it with discrimination. And so let me give you one key example. Yeah. Um, just this afternoon, I became aware of an email sent out by uh, Kevin Corbin, who is a member of the North Carolina General Assembly, and he sent an email to his supporters, and he says to them in no uncertain terms, don't you worry What this, and I'm quoting, Mm -hmm. what this essentially means is that the restroom provision of HB2 remains, which is just absurd. It's obviously been repealed, but that's precisely um, the sort of discrimination that the state has now made room for by saying, we're going to give you a rule, the rule is no rule, it's just it's just
2: the Wild West, apparently. And, and and there's, it really is, and I want to get into uh, some more of the politics on this, but I, 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 on the bill itself, aside from this bathroom bill nonsense, uh, the original bill, and I think this new one, and you'll confirm this for me, Tara Borelli, but the, the first one basically said that uh, cities and towns around North Carolina could not make their own uh, laws prohibiting discrimination against LGBT people. Um, as I understand it, this came about because Charlotte passed an anti-discrimination bill and uh, the state of North Carolina wanted, uh, you know, didn't want that. So they made it essentially illegal to make it illegal <laughs> to discriminate <laughs> against uh, g- gay and trans people in, uh, in the state. Does this new bill Roll at least roll that back to allow communities like uh, Charlotte to come up with their own uh, anti-discrimination policies for uh, the LGBTQ community.
3: Oh, would that it were. <laughs> if if you're looking for an improvement over HB2 there, uh, you'll be sorely disappointed. Unfortunately, this is one of the areas of HB2 that the new bill just perpetuates and, and further enshrines into law. And and a quick footnote, I want to go back to something you mentioned in the opening, which is the NCAA mm-hmm. uh, gave a deadline to the state yep. um, so that the NCAA could then evaluate bids from North Carolina. Um, we understand that they will be voting this weekend about whether this bill satisfies their demand that the state eliminate discrimination so that the ncaa would consider bids from north carolina obviously this bill does nothing of the sort um, for the reasons we've already talked about but also for the reason that it continues to bar cities um, and municipalities from enacting non-discrimination rules the ncaa had always said that is the reason we will not go to North Carolina. We will not take bids any longer from the state. Mm-hmm. And yet now that this bill has just doubled down on that old discrimination and has furthered it, we encourage everyone to contact the NCAA, its mm-hmm. members, individually call them, email them, um, and make your voices heard and tell them that this shouldn't be good enough. They, they shouldn't throw in the towel on the strong, principled stance that they've held up until this point they should continue to stand strong and say this isn't enough we really mean it until and unless cities can protect lgbt people from discrimination the ncaa has no no place doing business in the state um so what what hb 142 did was say well we're, we're going to do two things now, two bad things on that point. One is we're going to say still no non discrimination protections by municipalities. They still can't enact local ordinances protecting LGBT people from discrimination. This despite the fact that hundreds of municipalities across the country have such ordinances. And those have been a critical part of keeping people safe, protecting people, um, and and making our society better and stronger by reducing discrimination. Um, but second, second thing that it did is that this law also says, and not only that, but even let's say come 2020, when we've said, you know, you wait several years maybe we'll let you enact some local non-discrimination protections, even then you can never, you permanently cannot enact any protections whatsoever relating to restrooms for trans people. Or, so, or changing facilities.
2: so on the one side for the anti-discrimination laws, basically they had they had made them in the original bill uh, illegal to uh, to have your own anti-discrimination laws. And now the compromise is there can be, if I understand this, there can be uh, uh, n- no anti-discrimination bills, uh, but only through December one of the year 2020. Right. That's the right part. Am I understanding that?
3: That's right. It's still illegal for you to make nondiscrimination illegal um, until 2020, as if you can put a date stamp on equality. Um, so you have to wait until 2020. But even then, permanently, one thing you cannot do, ever, is make any rules that protect transgender people in public places um, or for government, even in their places of work, if they happen to be employees working for the government. You can never. Until we, the state, say something um, or say something positive, you can never protect people, um, transgender people, and allow them to use those facilities.
2: And and it's just amazing. Uh, And by the way, there's nothing, (laughs) even with that date of December 2020, there's nothing that uh, keeps the state legislature between now and, uh, what, three, four years from now from from changing, from extending uh, that date uh, even farther into the future. Uh, that's right Governor Roy Cooper uh, he's the, uh, the 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 brand spanking new Democratic governor there in North Carolina won by a very thin margin uh, just took office in January he describes his bill as uh, quote not perfect quote the best deal we can get and an important first uh, for our uh, for, uh, the first move I guess for our state um, first step for our state and uh, is that true? Did Governor Roy Cooper, the Democrat, have no choice here but to sign uh, to sign this bill? Or is this, um, in fact, only about basketball? As a matter of fact, during a Thursday morning Senate Rules Committee hearing on the the replacement bill, the lead plaintiff in the lawsuit against HB2, uh, Joaquin Cursano, uh spoke out against the compromise bill. Uh, he said lawmakers are choosing basketball over transgender rights. Is that essentially what they've what they've done here, including uh, Democratic Governor Roy Cooper, who had vowed to repeal this bill? Did he have a choice, or is it just well, we got to get our basketball back to North Carolina?
3: <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: I believe that a bad deal is worse than no deal. Um, they have tried to put just to be blunt mm-hmm. a lot of lipstick on this pig mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: but
3: but you know you and I and I think anyone else who takes a look at this new bill can see exactly what it does which is it further codifies it further enshrines into North Carolina law um, discrimination against LGBT people, and, and particularly targeting of transgender people. And and that is not something that should ever enjoy the imprimatur of state law. So we are exceptionally disappointed that this bill was enacted, and um you know the the answer should have been clear. It should have been a clean, full repeal, a real repeal of HB 2, and we remain very disappointed that they didn't
2: do that. Do you know Tara Borelli? I haven't been able to look at the the breakdown of of the votes and how this got through. I know they did a sort of a legislative trick uh, in one of the in the in the House, I think, to to get it moved quickly in a single day. I mean, this whole thing was done in one day. Uh, And I think the trick they used in the House was they took a bill that had already passed out of committee that had nothing to do uh, with this particular bill, but it had already passed. So they took that bill, took out all of the text from that bill. Uh, about something else entirely and put this text into that bill and said, oh, this is the amendment. Let's bring it to the floor and pass it. Uh, but do you know, I, I think I understand that trick uh, correctly that they did. Do you know, was there any help from Democrats other than the governor here who signed this? Uh, or was this by and large pushed through by this huge uh, Republican and I should say illegally, unconstitutionally gerrymandered Republican um Uh, majority that they enjoy in the uh, North Carolina State Assembly.
3: I don't know the vote breakdown, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. I don't know what percentage of Democrats ended up assisting Republicans in passing this bill. Um, but, but you're quite right. I mean, the North Carolina legislature has done a huge number of things that courts have found to be illegal, including, for example, their, their unlawful voting, so-called voting rights, uh, mm-hmm. legislation that they've passed. Um, but even dating back to things targeting, uh, the LGBT community, um, such as the, uh, uh, laws that had been passed in North Carolina to prohibit marriage equality. I mean, this is one of a number of states mm-hmm. uh, that has targeted LGBT people for a long time, but um, this really takes it to an entirely new level, HB2, and, and then sort of further doubling
2: down on it with HB 142. It's very disappointing. The uh, On the broader picture, well, actually, uh, before we go to the broader picture, very quickly, are you getting any sense? Are you hearing, are you reading from uh, anyone in the business community who they were obviously trying to appeal to, uh, the NCAA and all of these businesses, you know, uh, uh, PayPal uh pulled out of a of a plan which would would have brought billions of do- invested billions of dollars in the uh, in the state brought thousands of jobs there a whole bunch of other large businesses have stayed away from North Carolina are you getting any sense have you heard yet in the short time since this has all happened that the uh, that the business community is buying it uh, I know we're waiting to hear from the NCAA whether they're buying it but are you hearing a word from anyone else if if they're buying it or they're still uh, holding tight that this is uh, an outrageous uh, discrimination going on in the state of North Carolina? I think
3: a number of folks are still digesting the, the bill since it is recent. But but I will say this, um, you know, no business that was upset by HB 2 um, should find any comfort in HB 142. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> really, in lots of ways, we could just call it HB 2.0. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it just sort of furthers and in some ways worsens some of the most terrible parts of HB2. And for businesses that were concerned about, you know, tying the hands of municipalities and preventing them from enacting non-discrimination rules Um, for businesses that that were concerned about targeting of transgender people, um, especially around spaces like restrooms and and changing facilities. There's nothing in HB2 that should give them any comfort. So, So we hope and we expect that the business community will stand strong, and it should begin with the NCAA. So if listeners are concerned about this, they should contact the NCAA without delay contact, and, and let your voices be heard.
2: Contact the NCAA and tell them, no, don't buy the scam, uh, the scam repeal and replacement bill in North Carolina. Uh, I wanted to talk uh, very quickly, Tara, about the, the larger picture. Uh, we, we've seen... Uh, this bill in North Carolina, I think in Indiana, under then-Governor Mike Mike Pence, now Vice President uh, Pence, uh, uh, when he was governor there, uh, they had a, a similar bathroom bill. They ended up modifying it. Uh, Texas, the Texas State Assembly is currently working on passing uh, another bathroom bill through the legislature there. W- Where did all of these bills come from suddenly over the past year and 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 why? Uh, You know, Republicans claim this is about keeping girls safe in the ladies room or something from predators. Uh, You know, (laughs) is there any actual record of of crimes committed by transgender people against women in bathrooms? Uh, And if not, why did why do you think in, in your mind that all of these bills are suddenly uh, beginning. This this movement uh, has begun to appear in the last, uh, I guess, year or two now.
3: Oh, I think those are really insightful questions. Um, going back to, to the question about is there a record? You know, the, these terrible arguments that that the other side uses to say we've got to protect women and girls, and and sort of this terrifying language they use is about preventing sexual assault and that sort of thing. Um, that was a strategy that they they pioneered, um at least dating back to uh their effort successful effort to defeat um, Houston's non discrimination protections uh mm-hmm. and that strategy may well predate that um but they have exploited this language of victimization and and violence against women and girls in in some of the most cynical ways I think I've ever seen. Here's the real truth. Um, in briefs that were recently filed with the Supreme Court, when it looked like that court might consider the case of, of Gavin Grimm, a transgender mm-hmm. uh, student in Virginia who who simply wanted to use the boys' restroom at, at his high school, um, there were a couple of different briefs that speak very clearly and very powerful to the safety argument. One was filed by hundreds of organizations that advocate for survivors of sexual assault. And that brief said... Don't you dare do this in our name. We we know about all the different dynamics that affect sexual assault and safety in spaces like restrooms, and believe me, protecting transgender people is simply not one of them. Um, and that message was amplified by a second brief that was filed on behalf of uh, close to 65 different police chiefs, sheriffs, and law enforcement officers of all ranks across the country, who similarly said, look... Our business is public safety. That is our job. And, and we deal with lots of challenges in protecting the public safety. But, again, <laughs> protecting transgender people from discrimination is just not one of them. So that argument is is just a disgusting argument that I think really um, – with no basis in reality, uh, targets transgender people and causes people to be afraid of them and instead of letting letting people see that we all have a common, shared humanity here. That's what should count, and that's what should be guiding our policy. And in terms of this question about why now?
1: Yeah, yeah, why <laughs> uh,
3: now? Where is this all coming from? You know, it, it has long been the case, actually, uh, that... that conservative lawmakers have targeted the LGBT community. I do think we're seeing particular attention paid to a number of these bills right now, partly because the issue of marriage um, should be settled. I Mm -hmm. mean, the Supreme Court decided in Obergefell that marriage equality is the law of the land. And I think a lot of the folks who oppose LGBT equality were furious about it, and they decided that they weren't going to go quietly into the night. They were going to find various ways to try to tear down and pull down any protections that they could for for us in other places. Um, And so one example is we've got rogue state governments uh, that Lambda Legal has sued in various states um, who still are refusing to recognize marriages. But another pathway to attack the entire community has been through this legislation HB 2 and HB 142 are perfect examples. A lot of the time we talk about, you know, these bills as as bathroom bills. Um, But actually they take aim at everyone, the L, the G, the B, and the T. It's about eliminating non-discrimination protections for all of us. Um, And the important thing that I think uh, conservatives should know is that the entire community is standing united. We're standing tall and strong. Um, and and we will not be intimidated, and we will not back down. We will continue to fight these illegal bills through every avenue available to us.
2: In addition to finding some way, some way that we can uh, possibly uh, uh, discriminate, uh, you know, against uh, the uh, the community, the LGBTQ community. Uh, I think I sense, in any event, that uh, you know they made a lot of money on that whole uh, fight against marriage equality. Uh, these uh, <laughs> groups across the country, and with. Yeah, with that fight (laughs) gone, they got to find some other way to keep those uh, those dollars rolling in. uh, Find a a, an all fresh new way to scare the hell out of their people, and it seems like that's what they're doing here. uh, in In the wake of uh, of finally marriage equality, Um, Tara, I got to get out. It's been uh, very helpful. I'm glad to know. I'm not crazy. I'm not missing anything. (laughs) Uh, Even though I'm not an attorney reading this stuff, I'm thinking, I don't get it. Uh, Apparently, I do get it. Uh, So, uh, Tara Borelli, I I really appreciate your time with us today.
0: Uh, Great
2: to speak with you. You bet. Tara Borelli, she's counsel in the Southern Regional Office of Lambda Legal. You can follow them at lambdalegal.org and Lambda Legal on the Twitters. Thanks so much, Tara. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Okay, quick break, and we are back with uh, some Supreme Court news, maybe, if I have time, and the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. There you go, Desi Doyen. It's your siren song. Indeed. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with Desi Doyen. And we will get to the Green News Report very, very momentarily. But as... uh, Tara Borelli had uh, mentioned a couple of times about contacting the NCAA. I wanted to see uh, how you would actually go about that. Apparently, you can go to NCAA.com, NCAA.com, scroll way, way down to the bottom of the page, and you'll see a tiny little link that says Feedback. Oh. And you might be able to get through to them there. Uh, They also have their contact, the NCAA phone number, where you can call them politely. That number is 317-917-6222. That's 317-917-6222. If you would like to uh, give them your thoughts either way on whether North Carolina uh, whether that law has changed enough to merit uh, more championship games being brought back to uh, North Carolina. Uh, public pressure works. We have learned that, and we learned it once again with uh, Claire McCaskill, senator from Missouri, who uh, which uh, went for Donald Trump in 2016, but she's up for re-election in 2018, and she had been wavering on whether to filibuster Neil Gorsuch or not yesterday. And once that story went public— the news today, Claire McCaskill has says she will filibuster Gorsuch, she will vote no, and filibuster against uh, against him for awesome. that stolen Supreme Court seat. Still a bunch of other Democrats out there uh, who are still uncommitted, so feel free to let your Congress, your Senator know one way or another what you think. 202, their number is 202 224 Three, one, two, one. All right. Yes, I know. Running late. Let's get to it. Our latest Green News report.
0: Our ability to drink clean air and drink clean water and have a livable future are
1: at risk. A rising tide of opposition against Trump's latest
0: executive order. We're in danger of losing that branding of the United States as the renewable energy innovation capital of the planet.
1: Trump's climate denial puts China first in the global clean energy race. Plus, mobilizing the power of the people with the upcoming March for Science and the March for Climate.
2: Two different marches? Yep. That's a lot of marching. Yes. I'm tired already. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm
1: Desi Doyen. Stand
2: by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The war on coal is over.
0: Thank God. I thought it would never end. President Trump didn't issue an executive order. He issued a declaration of war. Damn it. Another war.
2: This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, news out of Texas today that a court there has rejected ExxonMobil's attempt to move the New York attorney general's investigation into whether they misled investors about the financial impacts of climate change from New York to uh, the presumably more favorable Texas courts. The Texas judge said, nope, this case will stay in New York.
1: (laughs) That's pretty good. New York is probably not as friendly a venue for Exxon's position.
2: Poor ExxonMobil. We will continue to keep our eyes on that investigation from New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman. In the meantime, what do you have for
1: us today? Oh, just the fight over the fate of the planet. Oh, that's all. Now we know exactly what is inside Trump's long-awaited executive order that begins the long-term, process of dismantling obama's climate policy and it isn't pretty without once mentioning the words climate change president trump on tuesday targeted 23 federal climate change rules regulations orders memos and reports despite the administration's rhetoric that it isn't choosing winners and losers the official text of the executive order explicitly focuses only on promoting the fossil fuel industry and mentions renewable energy only once in passing Notably, the order does not withdraw the U.S. from the historic United Nations Paris Agreement to reduce global emissions, so that's still in place for now. But negative reaction has been swift. Here's Democratic Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts immediately after Trump's announcement.
0: This executive order isn't about energy security. It is about climate denial.
1: Now, there isn't much that minority Senate Democrats can do unless they win more seats in 2018. But because the Clean Air Act and a Supreme Court ruling legally obligate the U.S. to regulate climate pollution, environmental groups are now readying a tidal wave of lawsuits to protect public health. For example, on Wednesday, just hours after Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke formally lifted the Obama administration's moratorium on coal leasing on public lands, Earth Justice Dot org filed suit to block that move and state attorneys general are also vowing action in a statement new york attorney general eric schneiderman there he is again yep said that he and other state ags will step in to defend the obama clean power plant emission standards for power plants if the justice department fails to do so and they say they'll take it all the way to the supreme court
2: it's going to be a tall order to try to overturn some of these regulations that have been Uh, in the works for years and are responsive to laws from decades ago, not
1: just from Obama. Trump also got pushback from his own supporters for his misleading promises to coal country. I made them this promise. We will put
0: our miners back to work.
1: Trump campaign donor and coal mine owner Robert Murray of Murray Energy told the Guardian newspaper this week that Trump, quote, can't bring coal mining jobs back. What? Even the utility industry is dropping coal for cheaper, cleaner sources of energy. What? Now, climate policy experts say Trump's reversal will hurt the U.S. economy by failing to prepare Americans for the accelerating impacts of climate change like increased floods, fires, and droughts. They also say that internationally, China, is ready to step in to fill the leadership vacuum in international climate action that Trump has now created. Here again, Senator Ed
0: Markey. If we don't continue to pick up the pace, the Chinese will create the jobs in their country. The Indians will create the jobs in their country, the Germans will create the jobs in their country, and then the rest of the world will import the technologies from their countries rather than right. from our country.
1: Plus, China has announced plans to invest nearly $400 billion in clean energy technology and research over just the next four years. That's to position itself to capture the global market opportunity of selling renewable energy technology to the rest of the world. But grassroots, environmental groups and scientists are organizing public opposition to defend science mark your calendars the march for science in the nation's capital and satellite marches around the country is in three weeks on earth day saturday april 22nd with a separate climate march the following saturday on april 29th
2: for more on all of these stories and the many that we couldn't get to Check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report.
1: These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are gonna walk all over you. All right. Get out there. And
2: I'm going to be uh, walking the hell out of here today. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Tara Borelli of lambdalegal.org, and to you for spending a portion of of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. My thanks to those of you who help us continue to do what we do each and every day by stopping by at bradblog.com slash donate. You can also send me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the Twitters. Find us, follow us, and share us broadly at the BradBlog. That's it. Marching out of here. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.